Hey, it's Ryan Doyle from TDR's Guaranteed Money. We take a look at FanDuel's numbers as their recent earnings report was released. Major League Baseball, can it survive without sports wagering? And Jack Settlement stops by from Knights of DGen and, of course, the founder of Snapback Sports. All as Guaranteed Money gets rolling. Hey, it's Ryan Doyle, TDR's Guaranteed Money Podcast. Uh, this is the Anthony Verrill that I like, the guy who's got a little bit more fuzz coming in. I watched you on TDR's Trade uh, the Black Podcast. I'm like, okay, yeah. he's right. It's growing in. It's coming. It's coming. You look a little bit more, a little bit more edgy, which I enjoy. Yeah, here, here to stay. I can't, uh, I can't shave anymore now that I've got to be on uh, on camera a decent amount. Yeah, you can't do that baby face thing. No one takes the baby face guy no. seriously. In no. any way, shape, or form. Because if I shave this, I didn't. I haven't said this to you. If I shave this, yeah. I look like I'm 26. Yeah, I'm gonna go Which mountain might... man now. Yeah, I full. went the first eight months of COVID. I didn't shave or cut my hair, and it was just like, yeah, my wife would, wanted to fucking kill me. I would suggest you invest in a lot of plaid and just go fully into it. Just lean heavily into the plaid shirts, the mountain yep. look. That'd be fantastic. Uh, oh, yeah. Very quickly, let's do it. All views on the Guaranteed Money podcast and the guests on this podcast are purely opinion. You should not try treat any of those opinions expressed by us or our guests as investment or gambling advice. The views on this podcast are solely intended to be informational and are not investment advice. That's the part I trip over. Not treat, not treat or try. That's what that's the problem. That yeah, is millennial. To be honest, Shad's you got a little competition. Oh, is he going for Shad's? Uh, Shad's trying to beat you. Yeah, Shad's trying to beat you on trade to black. Failed miserably, but he's trying. I like a valiant effort every now and then. That, of course, is Shad Dales, the yeah. D in TDR. Uh, this is millennial entrepreneur Anthony Verrill. Uh, Jack Selliman, American content creator, founder of Snapback Sports, Knights of DGen. He's going to join the show a little later on. Uh, I'm excited to talk to him because that's kind of a convergence of both of our worlds when we talk about NFTs oh, yeah. and we talk about the world of sports wagering. Oh, it'll be a good interview. I'm pumped to, uh, pumped to talking about NFTs, pumped to talking about sports. and really just got a... Uh, Get a fresh perspective on what he's uh, what he's looking at. When you look at the Knights of DGen, just from a, a pure investment standpoint, when you take a step back and, and look at what they've got going on as a product, how does that compare to other NFT projects out there in the space? Um, I mean, uh, Knights of DGen, they came out and kind of, I don't want to say fell flat in its face, but really couldn't find its footing. Um, they came out, I think they went down to about 0.15 ETH which all things considered is pretty low for an NFT collection. Uh, Drew Austin, who's now at the helm, um, who was a co-founder before, he basically took over the project, revamped it. I mean, they got Des Bryant and AJ Dillon in, the Discord's popping. They now own a fan-controlled football team. Yeah. Um, I bought about 10 of them at 0.15. They're now at about 0.4 to 0.5. So, I mean, I'm up about 3.5x on some of mine. A couple of them, I'm up around 10x. Um, as I went for a couple of rare guys, but it's, I think it's, I think it's a perfect storm for an NFT collection for someone that wants to get in with a low barrier to entry, a very actively engaged audience. And it truly is going to hit at the intersection of sports wagering and NFTs. Um, so I'm long, uh, night to DGen and I'm not, I'm not selling any of my pieces anytime right. soon. We're going to talk a little bit about this, obviously when, when Jack gets on the show, but when you say you go for something that's rare, how do you know it's going to be rare? Cause I think that question comes up a lot. Yeah, so I mean, with the with the common NFT collection, there's there's ten thousand in the set. Um, I went for ones that had like a Nick jersey or like a gold chain or like uh, attributes that were not very prevalent throughout the collection. Um, so I, I scooped a couple. One of my guys is like a gold space helmet. Oh, another one of the guys has like a gold hood, um, and they're just they they stand out and they've got those uh, attributes that are like I said they're, they're just rare. 
Um, I scooped a couple of those up, and I mean, some of those are trading for 10x what I bought them for uh, right now. All right, so there you go. That's a little something to look for if you're if you're wondering, you know, when you're hearing that and thinking to yeah. yourself, what does that mean? Uh, Flutter. I, I was on their earnings call this morning. A bit of an update, really, more than anything. Uh, this is a company that owns a lot of different pieces in the sports wagering space. The biggest North American one is FanDuel by far. Uh, I thought the numbers were interesting when it comes to you know market share. They seem to be doing you know lights out business, uh, head and head and shoulders almost above anybody in the in the competitive space in the United States. They did have some drawbacks in their UK operation. A lot of that was you know, and they talked about this on the call. A lot of that was specifically because you had so many favorites winning in European soccer that they were just taking a bath. Now yeah. I don't have the you know I don't have the manpower to. Yeah. to totally break down what was going on in the UK. But what did you make of this today? Because I want to get into uh, FanDuel, whether or not this is going to mean we're going to see some sort of IPO, some sort of offering when it comes to FanDuel specifically, because they're currently not at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's good. I, I think it's it's good for guidance. I mean, I think it's good to where they're going. And I, mean, I think we're going to see a lot of these players um, come into the public markets. I mean, if the SPAC craze was still going on, I'm pretty confident you would see a lot of these sports wagering companies being rolled up, put into SPACs and taken public or getting a huge whack of cash and, and tapping the public markets. I think we're only in the early, we're only in the early innings of sports wagering and the public markets and these, these tech companies. Um, as, as far as it goes, we got plenty more room to run. Um, I think we'll see a ton of other players come into the space. When you look at a company like FanDuel, are you surprised at all about their dominance? Because it looks dominant. I mean, you look at the number no. when you talk about market share across the United States and the states that have given it the green light. It looks like a very dominant performance. Yeah. If they were a sports team, you'd say this team's going to win the title. Yeah, I mean, but you also probably can't watch a sporting event right now without seeing a FanDuel advertisement. They are paying through their teeth in marketing. They're everywhere. They're in out of home. They're in OTT. They're on radio. Um, I'm sure they're in several stadiums. Um, they're everywhere. So, I mean, it's, it's paying off. And like we've said, I mean, it's a function of can you keep these uh, sticky customers in your ecosystem? And, and what's the true LTV um, of, these, uh, of these customers once the marketing spend starts to ratchet down, um, which is ultimately going to have to happen if they ever want to reach profitability? One of the things I thought was interesting as well is they talked about how their profits have been hit by efforts to tackle problem gambling. One of the things this company does uh, is put limits on younger gamblers. If you're trying to get in, you're going to be capped at how much you can deposit. Uh, they have daily limits on how much you can actually spend on their site. The business end of me says that's just fucking crazy. Why would you do that? The bottom line is king. The social side of me says, okay, I understand the argument. You, you, people can't be their own gambling control board. Where do you land with that? Because that's a tough one for me. I'm for it. Um, I'm for it. I mean, obviously, I would think about it a little bit more if I was a shareholder as to how it impacts the business. But I mean, I do think that there should be controls in place, especially for for kids and for certain people um, not overextending themselves on these platforms. I mean, it's a slippery slope, especially when you can use a credit card to start to uh, unload capital onto these platforms and then wager. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it should be done responsibly. I think it should be controlled to an extent. And there's enough whales out there that are going to counterbalance any of the uh, throttling down um, of the spend of, of those certain amount of pe- those certain groups of people. Uh, we've obviously been keeping an eye on the Canadian market as the April 4th deadline. You got a dog? I didn't know you had a dog. What kind of dog do you yeah, have? I've got two of them. What's going <laughs> uh, They're both rescues. Oh, it's lovely. You yeah. should bring one of them on the pod they're, uh, sometime. They're, they're both rescues. 
Yeah, well, they're uh, that I mean they're usually I usually have my door closed, but they're uh, yeah, they're they're acting up right now. My guy's the same way. He's a wire fox terrier, and anytime anything moves outside, he thinks it's a fox and automatically goes to yeah. the parking. There's no, there's no, there's no end around. Oh man, it. I've got a third, I've got a third floor, I've got a third floor balcony that he literally sits on and just barks at everything that mo- that comes by the house. Does not stop. I like it though. It's their inner voice. There's nothing wrong with as that. you can tell. It gives the show yeah. a little character and a little personality. Not that we don't have a lot of that already. Uh, oh, yeah. As I was saying, we're uh, <laughs> looking at the April fourth, the April fourth number. Uh, when it comes to opening up Ontario's market, I think a lot of Canada, the other provinces are going to be taking a look and seeing uh, what happens in Ontario, how all that shakes out. I was surprised to read this number from Deloitte. They took a look into how many people are aware that single sports event wagering is actually legal. The number is one in five Canadian adults know that single sports wagering really? is going to be legal. Yeah. Like, I, so I'm thinking to myself, like, how does a company, first of all, combat that because you might be looking at up to 30 operators in the space and if, with all of the marketing that's already been done how the hell do people not know that this is happening yeah i mean 20 percent of the population is not going to cut it um as far as as far as the addressable market i mean i think they need to they need to be talking to their marketing departments and see if they're where the hell they're advertising because apparently they're advertising in the wrong place um, they need to start hitting people on other channels or hitting people more directly or start some sort of grassroots effort to really get in front of the consumer. Because if you only have 20 percent uh, penetration of your marketing message on the entire population, that's not going to cut it, especially when the competition's fierce. Yeah. And I, I don't you know, sometimes I think we view Canada in a vacuum. You know, I've lived near the border about an hour and a half away from the border uh, for a very long time. We have a lot of border cities. We watch American television. We consume American media where it's we we see the ads. We might not be able to access the product right away, oh, yeah, yeah. but we see the ads. So it's not like this isn't hitting you in the face as it stands. But you're right. It's got to be a case of not hitting the right people in those right spaces. And that means with the clock ticking, they got a lot of figuring out to do. Well, are there are there nuances to the amount of advertising you can actually do at being a sports wagering company in Canada? I'd probably be looking into that because, I mean, if you look at cannabis, like those guys can't do anything. I mean, granted, everybody knows the cannabis is legal, but at the same time, like there's really no active advertising campaigns due to the Canadian regulations that you can actually do as one of the operating companies in the country. Yeah, my understanding is you can take out ads to promote the business end of things, but you can't promote any promo offering. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a match, if you're doing, okay. hey, you put f- put 500 bucks in, we'll match it. That all has to be on the landing spot of the website. That's kind of how the way it's written going okay. forward. Doesn't mean we can't still see what's going on. So one in five is, oh, yeah, yeah. if I'm in a, if I'm running one of those that's, companies, that's that worries good. me. No, it's not yeah, good. Yeah, that, that, that worries me a lot. We've got uh, we've got Jack Settlement. I mentioned uh, he was going to join us. Jack Settlement, of course, of Knights of Degen and Snapback Sports. We're going to have a conversation with him. And then when we we finish that, I want to talk a little bit about one sports book that has decided to do something different when it comes to March Madness. And can the rise of legal sports betting actually rescue Major League Baseball as they deal with the strike? We will do that and more as Guaranteed Money continues. Welcome back to the Guaranteed Money Podcast. It is great to have in our next guest, Jack Settleman, the creator and CEO of Snapback Sports. It is the largest sports-based Snapchat account in the world. Uh, launched the Snapback Agency not that long ago. Jack, it's great to have you on the show. Appreciate you guys for having me. Let's. Uh, I love your story, man. I just got to be flat out. I love your story because you've, you're a guy who's put in the fucking work in all of this. You're a guy who didn't take it the easy way, decided to learn and learn and learn 
Can you talk a little bit about the importance of putting in that early work, doing internships, doing sort of the, I don't want to call it the grunt work, but that's kind of what it is to, to build the foundation for what you have now? Yeah, the overnight success story, I think it's overblown with social media in general, not in my case in particular, but TikTok stars that are blowing up and gain millions of followers in just a few days. Like a lot of these people are practicing, they're putting in the reps. And I think internships aside, the thing that best kind of shows my story of putting in the work is we've posted on the snapback story 20 times a day for four and a half consecutive years, every single day. So while we're doing a lot of stuff outside of that, that is like, you know, you brush your teeth every day. We make sure there's 20 plus stories that are going up on Snap at the minimum. How do you find all that content? Because it does not not become a challenge. I mean, we live in a world where it's like a, a content sweatshop in a way, right? You're turning this shit out time and time and time again. How do you find all of that content that you know is going to be sticky, that's going to actually resonate with your audience? Yeah, it's... You know, sports, there's so much going on in sports. But think about this summer. Normally, there is like a World Cup or an Olympics or a big tournament that's going on. This summer could be slow. And right now, we don't even know if there's going to be baseball. So there is, you know, there are times where we're like, well, will there be enough content? But to be fair, like during COVID, the first month when there were actually not a single sport, we still found time to find that content. People are interested in everything that's going around the sport. It's not just reliant on the action on the field, on the court, it's off the field. It's the drama, it's the shoes, it's the fashion. So there's always content out there. And I think one thing I've learned over the past few years is like aggregation, which is a lot of what we're also doing, is actually a skill within itself, knowing what people are going to want to see. Also understanding the captions that elicit those responses and that engagement. I saw that you were. Uh, I saw that you were actually involved with Knights of Degen. Um, I am as well. Um, Knights definitely going to make it. Um, so I guess <laughs> what uh, what what drew you into that, and I guess what's your take on the whole NFT um, intersection of NFTs and sports, um, and where do you see yeah, that going? So, so going back to 2020, end of 2020, you know, I had gotten into sports cards during the pandemic because I liked it okay. as a way to bet on players, right? And I've yeah. been buying crypto since 2017, 2018, and I work in social media. So Top Shot made a lot of sense as kind of the mm-hmm. mesh of all those three touch points. And then going forward, once you go into Top Shot, you kind of end up diving into NFTs, end up in the NFT world pretty heavily and met some people and you know, Drew Austin and Jared Augustine, who are two of the leaders yeah. of the Knights Project, they came to me and were like, you know, sports betting, NFTs, Blake's the artist. I'm like, well, I know Blake from sports cards. He's an incredible artist. And I know that there's like-minded people who want to bet on sports and get into NFTs. So like, why not start with this project that I believe yeah. in with a legit team? Now it's evolved to places I had no clue we were headed. We own a football <laughs> yeah. team, yeah. building a media network, token, all that stuff. Uh, but that's what initially got me into it. Are there, there any, are there, there any NFT projects you're looking at? Or you're kind of sticking like guns, guns blazing with Knights of DGen? Yeah, I mean, I've admitted many times online, like I'm an awful trader. So okay. if I say, hey, buy this and then sell this in you know, a month, like things just go in the complete opposite direction. But my long-term stuff, you know, I got into punks pretty early. I was a believer okay. in that. I got into Aku pretty early. I would say the most interesting one to me actually was invisible friends i thought it was just really Dude, cool but that the was price on it. Cr- that was yeah. crazy people started crazy. buying that mint last night at like 13 ethereum i started seeing sales go and i'm like these people are going to get wrecked like this yeah. yeah i was like this is going to settle at like seven or eight 
And like these top bids are like going to get absolutely wrecked. Um, like yeah. I've been in Knights of D Gen since like 0.15. Um, I was collecting them all. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm like in Bored Apes, Meta Hero, uh, nice. Punks. I'm like all over the place. Um, but yeah, I saw that last night. I really wanted one of those, but I was like, this is, it's going to be Mechaverse all over again um, yeah. with, the, uh, with the price action and with the crazy shit around the mint. Well, I want I wanted to ask that question because I'm sitting here as you know somebody who comes more from the sports wagering space than I am from the crypto and NFT space, and I listen to the two of you talk, and I think to myself, how do you know which one to get into and which one to get involved in and which one not to get involved in? Because it you know it sounds probably pretty simple and straightforward once you get your mind towards that type of oh, thing, yeah. but if I'm an outsider looking in, I'm thinking, what the fuck are these two guys talking about, and how do I know <laughs> which train to get on before it leaves the station? So, Jack, like, how do you make that decision in your own head? Yeah, I think it's who's buying into the project, who are the founders behind it, what's the social buzz around it. But what's so interesting is there's so many other factors that come into it. Are you in a hot NFT market? What's the price of Ethereum, right? So like if the price of ETH doubles back up to an all-time high, the floor on these Invisible Friends may drop in half, but they're still at the same USD amount, but you're still up on the investment. So there's so many complicated factors. And there's so much capital needed to get into. I mean, the project we're talking about, Invisible Friends, like, you know, 25, 30 grand to get yeah. in. Like, that's not realistic for no. 99% of, you know, I can't even afford that right now. Yeah. So um, I think it's just listening to people. I'm in some good group chats, but, you know, then it becomes a conversation of like, is that just a few certain people making moves? And then that kind of spirals into that's the new hot thing. So there's no regulation on this stuff in terms of, you know, influencer, influencer, influencer yeah. advertising. Um, so it, it's very complicated right now. But people always ask, where do you start? You do some research, you hop in some discords and you can learn a little. But the next step is like, OK, I'm all in now. Well, I need 10, 20 grand. It's just not realistic. Yeah. The barrier to entry is pretty high. And I mean, for instance, like with Knights of DGen, I met Drew at NFT NYC. And I'm like, I'm betting on this guy. I was like, right. he's got the network. He's got the, he's got the influence. And then look, like Des Bryant shows up. AJ Dillon <laughs> shows up. Um, like the ecosystem starts to take shape and it's, it's off to the races. Um, so it's absolutely bet on the jockey. Um, the, the NFTs themselves, I mean, I take a lot of, 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 I guess, credit into and like the art. But I mean, bet on the jockey all day um, yeah. around, these, uh, around these projects, at least for docs teams. Um, for a non-teams, it's a totally different story. You guys have both mentioned the the convergence between sports wagering, gambling, de, um, you know, crypto NFTs. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Why do you think there is such a a synergy, or or you know, that these industries work so well together, or at least you have the same type of person in both of those games that have that kind of mutual interest? Well, I think the major thing is what we're trying to push forward with Knights, and our project is called Knights of Dgem, and so a degenerate by trade used to be, you know, your (laughs) uncle at the horse track who lost all his money gambling away on some long shot. Now a DGEN is really a type of personality. It's someone who likes having action on something. It either increases the entertainment value. It's just their personality type. And we see a lot of people similar to that. A DGEN is someone who owns crypto, who bets on sports, who bets with their friends, who likes having a little added risk, you know, added to their portfolio. And I think my generation and the next generation are going to be DGENs by nature just because of, you know, the crazy volatility in the markets and in crypto 
and interest rates. And, you know, people are struggling to pay rent versus inflation. And so what's the only way to kind of counteract that is like, if you bet a hundred bucks on a game and you win, you in theory just doubled your money. There's no investment that's going to return that. Now, I'm not saying go think you're going to go double your money every single yeah. night betting on sports, but it is the idea of like, all right, I could win lunch and dinner for the next week by placing one wager sure. versus investing in this, you know, S&PY that's going to go up 4% year over year. And so it's scary for a lot of people, just like they're not in a spot to let those compounding returns grow. Um, so I think it's going to grow a lot of DGENs and we'll see how it nets out. Yeah, I mean, I... Well, you've got I, two yeah. of them you're talking with right now. I mean, that's I, good. I shit, you I, mean, not, that's I, I shit you not on the pitch deck for my NFT platform. Um, it literally says, the first line says, we're a group of DGENs. Um, and, and then it goes into our thesis um, on NFTs. And I mean, a year ago, if I would have thought about putting that in, I probably would have laughed at myself. Every single person that's read that deck is like, all right, these guys get it. Um, like they, they, they understand like what's going on. So it's just a yeah. broad term that's being uh, formalized now. When we get back to when we get back to snapback, fifty uh, percent. Correct me if I'm wrong with that stat, but fifty percent of your audience had, hasn't been to a sporting event. When you learned that, how did you react? And what kind of advantage does that give you when you're building something like this out? Yeah, so I had no clue originally, and so I started this. I was a senior at UT Austin. I'd grown up going to Ravens games, Orioles games. You know, you have access as a student to football and basketball pretty easily. We're three hours from Houston and Dallas, and so. I had a ton of access to sporting events and 50% haven't been, but it's really like upwards of 85, 90% that either haven't been, or if they have, they've been to one or two games and it's just games in their local market, right? So you live in Oklahoma city, you've been to a thunder game or two, but you haven't gotten the chance to go to LA and see SoFi and go to Miami and see those stadiums. So when I recognize that, I realized what like, living through the content could mean to other people. And so that doesn't mean I go to the Super Bowl and highlight the stuff on the field. Everyone, not everyone, but the majority of people have TV, have cable. They're going to see the game on YouTube later. But what about the environment around it? What about getting into the stadium? What about the food that goes on during Super Bowl? So showcasing that and being privileged enough to have those opportunities really has helped us in terms of our content production. The mainstream media, I come from it. I have a background in it. I'm, you know, it's dead to me now, which is great, uh, but they're rigid. And the, one of the reasons I'm not in mainstream media anymore is because it's, it's so fucking rigid. It's like, it's like watching a, an ocean liner try to move. It just, it just can't do it in the, in the method that it needs to. There, I think that's, you know, that's going to be a real hardship for them to overcome. How do you avoid that with snapback? How do you allow yourself to pivot? How do you allow yourself not to be rigid? So I'll give you, before I answer that question, I'll give you a really cool moment for me. I was at All-Star Weekend last year, House of Highlights, which is a just an Instagram sports page. Yeah. That is that, fired by Bleacher and Turner, obviously. And they did a $100,000 game of knockout. So last year during All-Star, I got to play in it. This year, I was just a guest. And I'm standing kind of at the top of the key in the stands. And I'm watching eight YouTubers play a game of knockout for $100,000. And I turn around and behind me is 20 bleacher, you know, and Turner employees watching on. And I'm like, if they three years ago had said, we're going to give a hundred grand to a bunch of YouTubers, they would have yeah. said, you're absolutely out of your mind. So it is cool to see a company like that kind of going on the fly. And 
credit to Turner and all of them for like being flexible. They still have, you know, so many corporate kind of things to navigate within, but for snapback stance, like I went on NBA TV, live television, I wore a t-shirt and I said to my audience, like, look, there probably is a, a world where I need to put on a suit just so that I could get another gig. But like, I don't talk sports with my friends in a suit. Like, I just don't fucking do that. So why am I going to go on TV and act like that's how this operates? So I think it's just being true to yourself. At the end of the day, be true to yourself. And one of the great things about, you know, aggregation within Snapback is like, I'm always kind of reading the room. I'm listening to feedback. I'm actually hearing my audience. And that allows me to stay flexible and be proactive instead of reactive. Yeah, that's what I always say to people. You know, be genuine. The audience can smell bullshit. Oh, yeah. They can smell bullshit from a mile away. And the second you dip into, you know, being disingenuous, putting the suit on, as you say, whatever it is, they'll they'll push back on you very hard. Yeah. It's like wearing a suit to a crypto conference. Yeah. You just don't do it. <laughs> it's the, the, just it's don't not do it. in the audience. Um, let, let me ask a little bit about the decision to move off of just Snapchat. Why was that important for you guys to do? I think just, you know, kind of hedging our bets across all the platforms. There's no doubt that Snap's the biggest and the baddest for us. And, you know, if Snap went away tomorrow, that would be a serious consideration for our business. But, uh, you know, adding social media platforms, I think, is just the natural next step. We haven't put like a ton of energy and resources into them. And I think that's what's kind of, you know, limited them to a degree. But I'm a huge believer in going all in in one spot and making that the central kind of spot. Because if you get spread too thin, then you're just going to be half-assing it across the board. What are the other uh, What are the right, other channels next? that you're looking okay, at? Okay, go ahead. Is that like t- are you looking at like TikTok or like more, uh, more yeah, on-demand we, video? We do, we do stuff on TikTok. We, okay. That's been another thing for us is like OTT content. Snap, yeah, yeah. Know, we have our own channel, obviously. But then we have three shows on the platform as well. One's actually a crypto NFT show. And so that is a great revenue driver and kind of is a hedge, not against Snap specifically because it's on the platform, but against our method of creating content there. So continuing to create original content is important, um, but the the media landscape is just going to continue to expand. Yeah. Jack, we we appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us and have a conversation with our audience. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. We appreciate you, uh, you hanging out for a little bit. Thanks, guys. This is great. Yeah. Appreciate it. That's Jack, Jack Settleman, creator, CEO of Snapback Sports. Uh, of course, Anthony, we've got lots more to come as Guaranteed Money continues. Great conversation with Jack Settleman, of course, uh, Snapback Sports, Knights of DGen. Uh, here's a, a conversation about being a DGen. Uh, is this genius or is this complete degenerate? Uh, Barstool Sportsbook, and I saw Dave Portnoy tweet this out the other day, so I thought this is prime for us to talk about it. They've decided to take over under wagers on where teams are going to place in the March Madness bracket. So let's say, do you think Kansas will get a number one? What's the number here? Okay, we're going to set it at two, meaning you could bet the over, you could bet the under. Yeah, I'm I'm reading this and I'm thinking, it feels a little degen, but at the same time, it feels kind of brilliant because the March Madness selection show, I remember watching since I was a kid. I used to be down at my, my Nana's oh, yeah. house down in Fort Myers, Florida. And I would sit and write out every single team, 1 to 64, so that we could put them in a hat and start a pool. Okay, maybe I was a little D-Gen too when I was 11 years old. But I remember yeah. doing that. It was It's still such a staple in my house 
what's wrong with having a little action on it? I like this idea. And I think if you're trying to stand out and be different, this is it. I think it's great. Um, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's intriguing and I think people are going to lay money on it. Um, If it's one thing that we've seen from like player props and how the sports wagering industry is evolving. I mean, these bets need to get more dynamic. Um, people enjoy betting on obscure things. People enjoy betting on novel things. They don't necessarily want to take action straight up in the game. Um, I think it's great. I think it's great, and I could guarantee you it's going to be very popular. They've probably yeah, already I'm, tested I'm, it 10 different ways to see what would happen. Now, we're going to be in Vegas once uh, this selection show is done. We'll be down there as of uh, the Wednesday, so the 16th of March. So we'll yeah. have an idea of how many people actually took took some wagers, took some, you know, a little bit of a change and put that on there and sprinkled on there. So we'll have a report on that for you uh, from Vegas. I'm excited about that trip, by the way. We're going to have a lot of fun, and I think it's going to be a great. lot of interesting people. Oh, yeah. I'm looking you're, forward to it as well. Um, usually I don't like working, going to Vegas. Going to Vegas for March Madness will be, uh, will be fun. Have you ever done it before? No. No, I've heard it's I've heard oh, nuts, though. I've heard all the sports yeah. books are, uh Yeah. I've done it twice. I've done it twice and I've lived to tell okay. about it, but just, but just barely. And it's going to be interesting because yeah, like, yeah. of so COVID and, and because of a pandemic, like yeah. we've never met in person before. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that is true. I met Shad for the first time after working <laughs> with him for two years, um, like three months ago. Yeah. So it'll be interesting like, for, yeah, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of interesting, Major League Baseball to a lot of people is not interesting. Uh, owners and players, of course, uh, squabbling over money. Is look the, the preseason right now, all the spring training baseball. It's miserable to open a sports app right now. You see all the games canceled. Uh, a lot of people are saying that they're also losing sight of how in-game wagering could drive future revenue, which I do agree with. I don't think that they see the big picture. But, Anthony, you know, baseball not seeing the big picture isn't anything new. I mean, baseball's got a special place in my heart. Like I grew up playing baseball like my entire life. Um, I baseball was the first sport that I loved. Um, I collected baseball cards, played it. It's dying. I mean, it's almost like there just needs to be a couple more nails in the coffin and it's like done. Um, I mean, you don't see people that are polarizing like Ken Griffey Jr. or like Barry Bonds, um, that are like these media personalities and these juggernauts that can carry the sport. Um, anymore. And I feel like a lot of people have lost the, te- have just lost interest in it. It takes forever for a baseball game to be played out. Um, there, there, there's not a lot of interest. I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I, I hope they can figure out something to revive the sport. I mean, I think in-game wagering with baseball will be pretty, will, will be entertaining if it's going to save the sport per se. I think that's a pretty bold assumption. Yeah. But I think that if you look at things like nerfs, right? No run first inning, plays yeah that become so those, those are my favorite best. Part of the, yeah, yeah like i mean yeah i, I yeah. i've made the argument for years that why isn't baseball just five innings it would appease gamblers people would love it it would make it more dramatic i i love the apple pie and nostalgia part of it but i think the world has moved on from the the the, the sport that takes the hours problem, to play yeah i mean the problem with baseball is they that they feel like they have to protect it and the people that are the, the, the commissioners, the owners, they're like purists. It's like the PGA. It's like yeah. the product kind of sucks, but you're still going to keep watching it. And it's got the historic value. But at the end of the day, it's a bunch of old men that just will, are stuck in their ways. They don't want to innovate and they need to protect the shield and protect the sport. Baseball, arguably, it's more protected than the PGA. Um, they don't want to change anything in the game. 
Um, but I think a five inning baseball game sounds amazing. Yeah. And I would watch that. I'd buy tickets to it. I would invest in it as a sports wager. It would be a lot more fun. I mean, you can bet the five innings now, but it would be nice if that, you know, you get the relief pitcher in in that fifth inning. And now you're really dealing with something uh, where you don't have to sit through those kind of tedious moments in the sport. Very quickly, uh, this is the hottest ticket. I looked at some of the prices. You're looking at $5,000 to even get in and have a seat at Cameron Arena on Saturday evening. Coach K's last game with Duke. Uh, really it's against North Carolina, no less. I would heavily, I don't even know what the line is in this game. They don't have it out yet. Yeah. I, I mean, I would take Duke in yeah. a, a romp. They just smashed Syracuse yesterday. Uh, they're plus 1200 to win the tourney. If you just think of the emotional part of this, that's not a bad little wager. If you think of coach K, he'll be pretty determined yeah, to win I his mean, last, I, last final. Four. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that it's against UNC. Roy's not still coaching, right? Roy retired last year. Um, That'd be a hell of a send off for them to be going ahead to head their last games. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, plus 1200 Duke's got the brand awareness. Duke's got the, 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 the Duke's got it. I mean, when it comes to college football or college basketball playoff time, um, I would, I would roll some money on them for, for those odds. Um, any day. I mean, if anybody can will it, no, no, I'd pay 5k. I'd pay 5k for a uh, no. Super Bowl ticket. <laughs> I'd pay 5k for for a very low ticket to a to a playoff yeah. NBA game or a championship game but 5k for coach K's last game? No. I wouldn't pay that. But I'm that that stadium's going to be packed and it's going to be rocking. Uh, it should be Yeah. Yeah, I'll be watching it. I'll watch it on TV for sure and I would have money on Duke. Uh, you know, you could lay 10 if it's 10, yeah. if it's 12, I still think they smash them. I think it's going to be just a, a good swan song send-off uh, for the Duke Blue Devils. And I hate Duke. I'm a anti-Christian Leitner, anti-Bobby Hurley, anti-you-name-the-Grant Hill. I hate them all yeah. from back in the day. I still remember the Fab Five freshmen of Michigan and all that kind of stuff. But that's another show for another Thanks, day. Sir. Anthony Verrill, Millennial Entrepreneur. Thank you so much, sir. Subscribe to Guaranteed Money wherever you get your podcasts and find out more details at thedalesreport.com. Don't forget also to check out our YouTube channel for more content.